Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Prince Jackson. He is the co-host of Nightlight, a horror movie podcast on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Hello. thank you so much. Uh, this is a long time coming. Two years in the making, yes. I think. Oh, <laughs> I know. Such oh, a long time Jesus. coming. Yeah, it really has been forever. So I'm <laughs> really glad that we finally were able to get you on the show, Have Prince. Have been doing it for this long? Oh, Jesus. Girl. You ever think about yeah. how long you've been podcasting and you're like, never mind. I don't want to think about how long you've been yeah, doing it. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you for having oh, me. Man. I'm super excited. Thank you for joining us. And so one of the things we like to start off with is we want to know, how did you get into horror? How did you get introduced to the genre? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> so, so the horror genre, I guess, it, it while I was a child, love-hate relationship, right? I mean, it was mm. just like, oh, shit, I'm terrified. But at the same time, I was just like, ooh, I'm curious. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. it's like, it, it's such an interesting uh, relationship I had with it to the point where I didn't know how to truly react to it. So I grew up in a predominantly, like, Christian home. Mm. Um, and upon me growing up in that household, it was... It was interesting. Like, uh, my, my family gave me quite a bit of freedom, freedom, but I was like the baby in the family, which usually uh, is mm-hmm. the thing. Um, so I got a little bit more freedom, but I also have an older brother who's seven years older than me. And we always would hang out with our cousins who were also seven years older than I. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So they used to 
try to do the most heinous shit and try to scare me as much as possible. Like literally like sleepovers coming into the room. One, yeah. two, Freddy's coming for <laughs> no! you. And I'm just like, I'm like six. And I'm <laughs> fucking traumatized. So like I'm, I'm trying to genuinely just like was trying to get a grasp of it all. And it wasn't until like my brother would sh- try to just show me just the most ridiculous things like Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I actually didn't see Halloween until I was in high school. So that took a little bit of time. Mm. But when it was child's play, that was like the main thing that he would also try mm. to show me a lot as well. Uh, he just thought Chucky would scare the shit out of me when it was actually quite the opposite. I was just like that. I'm, I'm kind of neutral on that one. I'm lukewarm. <laughs> so let, let's uh, let's crank it up a notch. Um, but I want to say what really got my fascination in a horror was cartoon episodes for Halloween. So like little Halloween specials, specifically Hey Arnold, the Halloween special, because they always did them. And it was it was fantastic. We had the aliens that was pretty much uh, War on the Worlds. We Mm. had the Ghost Train episode. Oh, my God. The Ghost Train episode is so so fucking scary and good. So good. (gasps) I totally (laughs) forgot about that one. That was so creepy. Very. And like it was shit like that that I knew like okay, I have a fascination with this type of stuff, and I know that something is probably going to happen to the point where I'm just going to watch horror films on my own. So it got to the point where my brother was trying to scare me with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003, the remake. And I was like, okay, fuck him. I'm going to go ahead and watch this first. (laughs) So I watched it first and I was like, all right, this is how it's going to happen. So I knew where every single jump scare was going to happen. I knew all the shit. So when it was time for us to watch it, I was like, all right, great. So I'm going to get him at the best possible time. I want to say it was around when Jessica Biel was like walking around the house. And right when she was walking in the house, I was like, oh, I'm going to get some water or something. And not mind you, I'm like 12 at this point in time. <laughs> so like, I'm like, all right, fuck, I'm going to get some water or something. You know, uh, I'll be right back. Uh, I leave out. And when I'm coming back in, we have this island set up in our house. I drop to the ground screaming and I'm like frantic, throwing my, my water and like spilling it on the ground just to scare the living shit out of my brother. He has never tried showing me another horror film ever since then. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out wow. I'm the one who's a fucking horror addict now. And I, yeah, I just want to watch horror 24 seven. That's amazing. Yeah. I, wow. it, it seriously was absolutely ridiculous on how that all started. And then as, time passed and like high school came around i uh was really into liking horror films at that time as i'm sure all of us kind of (laughs) was so like limewire was a thing and torrenting and pirate bay and all sorts (laughs) so i had my local bootleg guy fbi if you're listening to this no you're not (laughs) We never did that. <laughs> never, never done that in my life. Never done it a single day of my life. Never. This is an entertainment podcast. We are making shit up. <laughs> exactly. This is, this is all, all fiction. All fiction. <laughs> so with our local bootlegger, like, 
he would always hit me up and be like, hey, I got this new horror film. I have no idea what it's about, but I got it. And I'm like, cool, send it to me. So I would usually get most of my horror content from him. Wow. And it's how I've watched Martyrs. It's how I've watched Frontiers. It's how I watched um, Trick or Treat back when it, it came out technically in 2007. Um, it's, it's how I watched a lot of this stuff. And... Um, I want to say when you guys remember that festival, it was kind of weird. Like they would show it in some theaters every so often, but it was uh, eight films to die for. Yes. You guys remember yep. that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah Lake Bungo <laughs> was one of them. That was, yes. That's how I found Lake Bungo because it yes. was one of those, which is so weird though. It's why I stayed away from those movies for forever because I thought that it was like little terrible like movies that they had packaged together and just were like trying to shell off on people. So I stayed away from all of those movies oh, because man. I was I thought they're going to suck. Sure. No, that's fair. I I was all in. Like you just bought the tickets online, they didn't age check and I and it was each oh, wow. day the way that it worked. And um I went oh, until God. I want to say it was uh Horrorfest um 4 um is when i kind of stopped going but like the very first time like it was where i saw the hamiltons grave dancers like it was just all these like very obscure horror films that you just mm-hmm. normally wouldn't i guess think about especially in the mid 2000s and late 2000s so it's just like fuck this is this is great and none of my friends were into it so i would go by myself yeah. <laughs> that's usually how it works oh god um, i'm gonna go through a deep dive of all of these now that you're reminding you me i'm to. looking i'm looking them up and i'm to. like fuck i'm gonna have to do it there's only five, there's only to. five of them that's what like 35 40 35 40 movies <laughs> yeah something movies? like that <laughs> <That's nothing. laughs> Yeah, honestly though, like I it, it's it's a whole bunch of different films in there that I feel like we don't talk about enough. Like for example, yeah. Butterfly Effect Three. Like what the fuck? What? Butter- exactly. <laughs> There's three of them. That sounds terrible. I'm just gonna it, tell you that a, right now. <laughs> it is so good. It is, is it so really? good. Butterfly Effect Three is really really good, and it's okay. it's weird okay. because like. I didn't even. I've never seen the second one. I've never even tried hunting the second one. I didn't know there were down. three. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either until it came out, and I was I was so into it. It was really mm. really interesting. Um, and there's another one, Deaths of Ian Stone, oh, which that's is also right. one. That, yeah. was that, that, that cover had like the weird lizard arm, and I always yes. remember seeing that. Yes, it, it, God, and I guess the one that's the most popular is Lake Mungo, but yeah, you just you just had so many that were. In there that uh even frontiers i think was actually a part of that i just saw that frontiers was in there which i was like oh shit i didn't know that frontiers is part of it yeah the way i got pitched to frontiers was the french version of the texas chainsaw massacre and i was like Uh in (laughs) yeah i've actually never seen frontiers i'm kind of a well that's my pitch to you because <laughs> I we we just recently recorded with someone about on martyrs and mm. like honestly I've only seen maybe three French New Extremity films and Frontiers is one that I keep hearing and I'm like I'm gonna have to watch it at some point yeah I mean it, it do you try to stray away from them because of the gore or I, the gore doesn't really bother me I don't I I mean you get, listeners you'll, you'll know this from our martyrs episode that's coming out but like <sighs> I don't like martyrs but like I liked Inside. 
as problematic mm. as it is, I liked high tension. It's not the really the gore, the like in your face stuff. It's it's more of some of the other things that I That's that make me completely fair. Martyrs away. is uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a, it's it's, a, it's one. <laughs> it's fun, yeah. It's fun. Like, it's fun, yeah. You know, it's just like <laughs> fun is not what you used to describe. <laughs> that movie. Uh, I it's, it's funny when you. I think when you mentioned that you were watching it, I was like. You'll you'll have a good time. It's it's a fun ride, and yeah, all the comments were. That. You did all, yes. say all, that, yes. All the comments were just like, "Well, I think we have two differences of fun." I was like, "Just wait, <laughs> go have fun." <laughs> when it was, and I, I had seen it before. I've seen it once. This is the second time I had watched it, but it's ah. just it's not a Terry film. That's, we'll just put it that. That way. is fair. It's it kind of reminds me of films like a lot of films that I kind of stray away from are kind of bug films or insect films like mm, the movie mm-hmm. bug for example or arachnophobia or even eight-legged freaks <sighs> like bugs don't necessarily scare me except for grasshoppers locusts and um crickets i'm fucking terrified oh. of <gasps> all three of those i have no idea why they t- locusts understandable but grasshoppers and crickets they're not gonna hurt me it's just what, the fact that they hop. Crickets are annoying. <laughs> what they are, are annoying. What is the what is the feeling about sprickets? Mm, uh, also not a fan. <laughs> sprickets? Oh, a spider cricket. Yeah, it's a spider cricket. Excuse me? Yeah, You've never it's... heard of sprucket of sprickets before? Of spider crickets? They are No, and I don't want to. Terrible. Do you not have them in the Midwest? Of... I don't even know what you're talking oh, about. I'm afraid of going to boy. look for it. They're very close to face huggers. <laughs> yeah, they're they're, they're, they're yeah. no, they're nuts, and they hop really high. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm not a fan of hopping. Do not need to be jumping. They're terrifying enough as it is. Yeah, I'm yeah, with you there. That's Terry, all I'm gonna say. Very much with you there. <laughs> um, but yeah, things like that. Like, there's that one movie that came out on Netflix that a lot of people also haven't talked about, which was um. God, I'm blanking on the name of it, but I want to say it was this lady who farmed locusts. Oh, oh yes. yeah, mm-hmm. to like eat them. I forget what it's called. Yeah, but I know what you're talking it, about. She was doing it because the world was like losing its nutritional value in the '90s yeah. or some shit like that. And she falls, hit her head. They drink her blood. Now they're vampire locusts. I'm just like, oh wow, whoa. But that movie was a bit hard for me to get through. But hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh bugs <laughs> so yeah bugs not the biggest fan yeah i'm, I'm here with you honestly <laughs> um okay so it sounded like like almost like your brother and some of your like family members introduced you to horror as a kid were you a scared kid watching horror movies or did like you kind of overcome that or how how did that uh, that process go yeah um when i was a kid i was pretty scared like i would have like a bunch of nightmares like quite frequently i was also quite a sickly kid like not sick to the point where i was hospitalized but Mm -hmm. every summer i would always catch strep throat for some reason or hay fever and uh when i would kind of be stuck in the house while all my family get to go out and play and do whatever they wanted to do Mm -hmm. i would kind of explore whatever our cabinet would have and surprisingly enough my grandmother was like a closeted horror fan and oh okay um 
Also, quick disclaimer, the, I have this Scream cereal box behind me. It actually does scream, so if it goes off while we're <laughs> recording, my apologies. <laughs> I have two of them, so like, if, if any of them screamed, like, that's that's just uh, a quick little heads up on that. Oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <Pretty> amazing. <laughs> it is pretty cool. But, um... Yeah, so like my grandmother has like uh quite a bit of a collection. Like she has like Valentine and things like that. Um so I would like just go through her cabinet and just watch DVDs while I was sick. Uh I think that allowed me to overcome them a little bit more. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Cuz I would I would watch Valentine when a stranger calls uh mm. which scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like that one actually did The OG get me. or the re- the remake? Uh the OG straight up oh, from so good. Yeah, it, and then, and then I didn't see the remake until it was on Lifetime. <laughs> so have you seen the um the the original sequel when a stranger calls back? Uh I think I have actually. Is that it's the really one good where the guy's like hiding and he's like in the brick wall? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have seen that. Then, uh, but it's it's interesting because when I would watch horror, I feel like I was supposed to be afraid, but at the same time, like I just found them closer to closer to be cautionary tales. Like, mm. for example, when I would watch. Um, people under the stairs like that taught me to like not really fuck with people like mm-hmm. <laughs> like don't go in people's <laughs> houses that don't belong to you like this is not your house you didn't have permission to go in there so like um things like that like it really taught me those life lessons to just like like stick to your own shit and stick to your own guns and, and things like that but it was uh i feel like i was afraid in the beginning and when i kind of overcame those nightmares and now when I have nightmares, they're like full length features for me. I'm just like, yo, I never seen that one. <laughs> like, so that's, like it's, that's new. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I haven't seen that yet. Um, which a particular nightmare I actually wrote a feature film for because of it. But Ooh. yeah, we can talk about that a little later. <laughs> that's exciting. Uh, so. Uh, as an adult, it kind of sounds like you, you've kind of grown past like being afraid. Do you ever get scared watching movies, or is, are you pretty jaded like, like the rest of us? Yeah, I feel like I am pretty jaded at, at this point. Like I'm, I'm quite desensitized to horror films. Like I know a yeah. lot of people, when uh, they think of like the horror film that scared them the most, it's like Terrified or something like that, which makes sense. Terrified is scary. but That one comes up a lot on this podcast. Oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like, I, I feel like that that's very given and understandable. But for me, the one that actually scared me recently was uh, Swallow. And oh, uh, okay. yes. Swallow terrified me. Um, oh. I... I watched it at the peak, obviously, as everybody else. Like, we're all locked down with nothing else to do except watch horror films because we're, we're getting ample content. It's nothing new for us. We're used to horror being VOD. So, like, we're just like, cool, we're living. But when Swallow came out, um, my wife was pregnant. Mm. And on top of her being pregnant, I was at the peak of, I have a, a, a mental eating disorder called phagophobia. Um, and I was at the peak of that mental um, eating disorder. Oh. So um, what phagophobia is, just for those who don't know what phagophobia is, it's uh, technically the fear of swallowing. I wasn't afraid to swallow. Oh. I was just more so I could not swallow when I would eat. Um, and sometimes oh, wow. it would be while oh, I would shit. drink as well. Yeah, shit was terrifying. Oh, that's <laughs> not good. So 
when I was at the peak of that, I watched that film. And even <laughs> her eating like fucking Cheeto puffs, that terrified me. I was just like, the oh, way she was wow. stuffing them in her mouth, I was just like, like I'm going to be sick. Like, I, I don't think I could finish this. It took me, I think, two tries to kind of get through Swallow. Wow. Um, and I can imagine. Yeah, that would that one definitely got me for sure. And and her just sticking anything in her mouth, I was just like, "This sucks." Like that. Like th- it took me forty five minutes to just eat a slice of pizza today, and now I'm try- I'm watching this lady eat a battery and a thumbtack. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> wow with like zero water she's just like yep going in but (laughs) so when i was (laughs) at that moment i challenged myself a little bit back in 2021 to rewatch it for a second time and uh i I was definitely nervous to rewatch it and then when i rewatched it it became one of my favorite movies of all time and so good it's so so incredibly good and like i just i completely gloat about it and um I wish I would have got grabbed the copy from uh, Second Sight, but uh, I didn't, fortunately. But it's uh, something that I feel like is just a near and dear f- film to me now, and something that feels so cathartic for me now, mm. um, because I was like, I overcame it, and like now that my phagophobia is now just triggers, I feel even, I guess, more closer to that film of just how like she overcame her relationship and her life even and right. like i felt the exact same way with that and her character just speaks so deeply to me and it's it's fucking phenomenal i really love swallow but swallow was like the last film i think that really just like got under my skin that's, that's a good choice that is a really good choice uh, thank you it's one of the last movies <laughs> i saw before uh before the pandemic because uh saw that at the last festival that i've been to physically been to oh man and yeah that was seeing that in the movie theater was um a squirm inducing. <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh, I would have loved to have seen it in theaters. Oh, that would have been amazing. Because the sound design it in that really is good. also really intense. Yeah. Like her swallowing really is just is. like, oh, you really hear that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm just like picturing the mic just being like right in her face. Oh. <laughs> Seriously. Like ASMR nightmare oh, for sure. God, it's fueling. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that, that Swallow has become kind of one of your favorite movies. What? Yeah. Would you say are some of your favorite movies as an adult that are horror? Um, so my list kind of goes with um, I <laughs> I like sad shit. Like I am an emo <laughs> kid at heart, so like sad shit is really what kind of gets me, and I have such a connection to it. Like I mean, I still listen to fucking Silverstein and shit like that still. So like I would say. Doctor Sleep might be one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm. Um, okay. I okay. absolutely love Doctor Sleep. And after Doctor Sleep, I would say um, probably probably Swallow. Swallow's up there. Um, and The Night House is probably most recently, okay. like the one oh. that really, really stuck with me. Um, Get Out is another one that. as well. I love it so much. I'm rewatching it right it. now. <laughs> it's it's so good. Okay, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about your creative stuff before we move into the to the movie that you brought today. Yeah. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Nightlight, um, the, your horror movie podcast? Yeah, of course. Uh, Nightlight was a passion project, like from start to finish. Um, 
I thought about Night Nightlight back in 2018, um, and I was just like mumbling shit around, and just like I knew I really wanted a horror movie podcast. I had a kind of an entertainment podcast prior to that um, called uh, the Good Night Podcast, mm-hmm. and. Um, with the Good Night podcast, we like went through so many iterations. Like we started off kind of as a news podcast where we would just do breaking news. Um, that wasn't valuable for the fact that if someone wanted to go back and start over, didn't make sense. Um, mm. So we transitioned into just a movie podcast where we just talked about film in general. Um, the whole crew that I was on, except for one person, liked horror films. So for them, um, I it didn't really make sense to kind of chat with horror about uh, to them because they were very much the generic kind of uh i wouldn't say movie watcher but kind of the the general audience if you will Mm -hmm. um when it comes to horror um so they would they would use words like elevated horror or horror movies are bad and that's why they don't run oscars and shit like Mm. that um so they were very much that type of crowd um so i pitched them i was like hey like i want to make a horror movie podcast specifically about horror and that's it and that's what i want to do and uh we kind of went back and forth about it and then i was going to launch it in like july of 2019 or something um and we had a, like a meeting and the team was just like no nah, we're not we're not digging it. i feel like this podcast needs to do better first and then we'll kind of get there and i was like okay yeah that makes sense and then, like, it was just getting closer and closer, and I was just reworking the show so much to the point where I felt like I got it. And mm-hmm. um, when I reworked the show, October was right around the corner, and I was like, fuck this, dude. Like, it, October's here. Like, I'm just going to release it, like, whether they care or not. Like, I mean, it's technically my company anyway, so, like, whatever. You know, fuck it. We're, we're mm-hmm. going to do this. So I did it, and uh, it it was kind of a practice round with goodnight podcast where we talked about the 13 ghost and we rated our favorite ghost um and it was with all of us freddie and david um are my two co-hosts for nightlight a horror movie podcast and we were rating ghosts and we were having such a good time i was just like the chemistry is fucking here like this is the crew like i I found them like this is it um Mm -hmm. and when we released the episode which we started off with a deep cut and a lot of people's called it silly for starting off with a deep cut. Uh, we started off with the house of the devil. So like, Oh, like, yeah. So like we're, we're, we're hitting deep. And I was like, this is a podcast strictly for horror fans. And like, I wanted to make that very clear by episode Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. We talk about triple a titles and stuff. Like I want to say the next episode after that was like the conjuring or some shit, but like we ended that month with, um, tigers are not afraid so like oh, mm-hmm. once again Great like movie. we you know we just really uh kind of hunkered down and, and did that but what the show pretty much consists of it consists of us um chatting about a specific horror film that's based off of a theme of whatever month it is so for example a month that we're working right now is mental health month or mental health awareness month um where we're actually going to be talking specifically about films on grief um and okay that particular section is kind of something that we really try to promote as much as we possibly can is what's happening within that month. So for March, we did season of the witch because it was spring equinox for Wicca Uh, and Mm. like all that stuff that just kind of falls in line with whatever is happening in the month. We kind of try to match and mimic that. And 
they seem to be making a shit ton of crazy holidays during uh, the in the U.S. So it's just like whatever. We've got like unlimited content <laughs> because it's just whatever that holiday is. So uh, yeah, and, and gosh, two years later, we're we're here now. Um, back in 2020, we uh, went along with um, Bloody Disgusting. We were brought onto their podcast network, uh, which was it still is like shocking <laughs> like I, I still i pinch myself still um but yeah all that from a tweet how was it all that from a tweet it's amazing what what a single tweet can like spawn because i mean that's kind of how this podcast came to be was a single tweet and just spiral from there so it's it. uh you know just gotta have that gumption and follow through with it. Yeah, yeah. The internet really. can be cool sometimes. Mm. <laughs> like sometimes it can really work in our favors, and we could like see people doing cool shit and celebrate mm-hmm. that. And that's that's really cool. Like it, it's really cool to like be able to celebrate other people's winnings. Well, yeah, and yeah. I feel like that's like things are so weird. I know online about like horror, but I I feel like I wouldn't know you guys, and I wouldn't have been able to find a lot of the opportunities. Online, like without these online relationships, you know what I mean. So, yeah. like again, yeah. the internet is a terrible place, but also can be a not so terrible place. <laughs> <laughs> to put it in the well most simplest said. of terms possible, <laughs> I dig it. No, like it, it, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, because of the internet, it it literally has allowed us to do so much shit. And um, off air, I'll I'll chat with you a little bit more about the other projects I'm working on, but uh, it's, it definitely it's all because of the internet and without it, I don't know where I would be. Yeah. Well, as weird as it's to say. But besides, <laughs> um, besides the podcast, you also mentioned you screenwriting. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, I can. I can share a little bit. Um, I can't share what movie it is, uh, but what I can share is that it is a horror film. <laughs> Um, Shocking. Obviously. <laughs> um, but it, it, that was going to be a romantic comedy. <laughs> I mean, I would be down. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's an interesting process of writing a horror film um, that kind of came from a nightmare. And um, one thing that I can mention is that uh, the horror film spawned from a tweet as well. Uh, oh. That was uh and yes everyone can find that tweet if they really want to search for it but it has something to do with society um which was brian Usen's film from 1989 i remember you i remember you, remember you tweeting tweet? about yes. this yes so, i do uh that film or that uh project i guess is in the works for me right now um i can't share who's involved in it uh publicly yet um but yeah, that's what I'm working that's on. That's exciting. Yeah, it's cool. super exciting. It's super exciting. That's awesome. Um, well, Prince, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Oh, oh man. Bernard Rose's Candyman. Candyman. What was the name? Candyman. <laughs> oh, I'll say it, I'll say it three <laughs> more times. Candyman. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah! Candyman. Where's a mirror? Yeah. Where's a mirror? <laughs> I mean, reflections on your computer works, right? You're right. <laughs> we, I mean, there's a whole like, Netflix that. show about the computer screen being a black mirror. So, I mean, you know, here fair. we go. That is yeah. fair. Here we go. <laughs> uh, um, but so in Candyman, the Candyman... <laughs> Played by Tony Todd, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. So, 
Take us back. How old were you when you saw this? How did you see this? What about it scared you? Give us your horror story. We oh, want to hear it all. Oh, man. So <laughs> I was six years old when I first seen this movie. Oh, <laughs> wow. And yeah, that was uh, a mistake. Oh, my gosh. But um, uh, that was a choice. <laughs> yeah. um, once again, older siblings, the whole night. Okay, I was going to ask if this was a you directed choice or whether someone else. Uh... Definitely the sibling and also cousin's yeah. choice. But um, I grew up in I grew up in the hood in San Francisco, just to put it bluntly. And mm-hmm. me growing up in San Francisco, and uh, I grew up in a district called Bayview, Hunters Point. Um, and growing up there, like. Uh, kind of everything what you saw in like the Chicagoian setting there was a little bit of what kind of it was for us where you go to just a couple of miles down in the city and you're in the suburbs in San Francisco mm-hmm. and it's just a very weird ebb and flow that you kind of go from there and uh what's even weirder is that Candyman 2021, Nia Candy Man, represents my neighborhood still in some ways because mm. of the gentrification now that's happening yeah. in my neighborhood. So with that, like as kids, like I never heard of Bloody Mary um until I was maybe in middle school or high school. So I heard of Candyman first. So Candyman was oh, my wow, Bloody okay. Mary. That was your Bloody oh. Mary. Yeah. And we would dare each other. I went to a Catholic school and we would and our bathroom was in the basement. And oh. <laughs> yeah, it was the worst. <laughs> I would hold it in all day. <laughs> uh-huh. But with with that, like we would dare each other and like like I dare you to, to say Candyman five times in the basement. And well, that would just be our thing. And when when we would all kind of like talk about Candyman and things like that, like as a kid, I never saw the romantic aspect or the gothic aspect and things like that until mm. I kind of, honestly, until I was probably in college is when I truly understood that like, no, this film actually has such a different meaning than what I thought. Like Candyman still is scary as fuck, but mm-hmm. like it's such a different meaning and such a different way to kind of, um, showcase romanticism and um honestly to put it bluntly jungle fever like it Mm. that was Mm -hmm. another thing that i found attractive in that film is the fact that my family uh they're obviously we're all black but at the same time it we have like um family members who kind of have like mulatto descent um which Mm. is kind of a derogatory term for some people um it's just black and white um but with them having that kind of uh background and things like that i've always been curious as to that side because we have so much black pride in our family but yet we have a lot of like mixed people in my family and i've always was very curious about that and when i took a dna test um i because i don't know my father um i took a dna test and i uh turns out that i'm like 30 percent irish and i was like all right feeling lucky but uh, (laughs) so it it was definitely interesting for me to kind of see that in a in film and yeah i i grew up with like hood movies like you know like don't be a menace (laughs) to be one of those comedies but like menace to society and fresh and um 
Boys in the Hood and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Like that's that's the type of films I grew up with. So seeing a film such as such as Candyman, it it felt so representative for me until like later down the line I found out I was like, whoa, this was like written by a white dude and directed by a white guy. And then you really started to see like, oh yeah, this was written by a white dude. This was written by a white dude. So what did what did six year old Prince think of this? Oh God, six year old Prince. Do you remember like was was it like you just was it at nighttime? Did you just have like people come over and sit watch with you or how? Do you remember any of that kind I of stuff? I do, actually. Yeah, it was nighttime. And I remember we made a lot of food. Um, and it was just us just having a sleepover. And that was something that my family did quite often. Like, we would just have mm-hmm. my cousins over and we would just have a sleepover. And there was a lot of us. I went, like, I, I want to say probably close to, like, maybe eight or nine of us. Holy um, shit. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So there was a lot of us watching this film. And they all knew that since I was the youngest, they all knew that and like plotted against me and was just like, we're going to fucking get him tonight. This is going to be it. So like when I was watching Candyman, um, got like when we would go into the bathroom, they would cut the lights off and it was just like shit like that. So like yeah. six year old Prince hated this movie. I absolutely hated this movie. I, I wanted nothing to do with it after that. Like, I would close my eyes a lot, and I would close my ears. Like, I was just like, I didn't want to do anything and have anything to do with this movie. And uh, the part that really got me, though, was the fact that Candyman didn't give a shit about kids. And, mm. like, when we hear that story from that kid, given that story of the kid in the bathroom, like... God damn, that that's when I was just like, I'm not safe. Like, usually it's just like, oh, I'm a kid. No one's gonna fuck with me. It's fine. I'm okay. Um, but it's uh it's definitely something weird about it that that just made six year old Prince just feel like I don't know, like scared to death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that scene with involving the kid that gets castrated is incredibly horrifying. Like Seriously? I Rewatching it last night, I was like, "Oh, I completely forgot about that." And yeah. wait, did he just like imply that they had like cut off his, you know, private parts and stuffed it down the toilet? Because I, I had to like rewind. I was like, "Wait a second, yeah. I did not hear that correctly." Yeah, no, you heard it right, and it's 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 insane. Like it's it's really scary to even to even think that you know, like to even have that as a uh, as kind of a focal point in some ways too. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the fact that like nobody was safe in this neighborhood when they should have even been the enemy to begin with. <laughs> right. Right. And like, but also they have a little kid telling the story, which makes it even yes. more mm-hmm. fucked up. You have this little kid, like, cause the whole movie is about people telling their stories about Candyman, And so everyone right. has a story. And this kid has one of the most upsetting stories and he's like, can't be more than like what, eight or nine. And, yeah. and he's so hardened. Yeah, and he just like oh, is seriously. telling it, just like, yep, this is just the way things are around here. And like fucking Helen is like, wow, fascinating. <laughs> wow. Like more, more exploitation, M- please. More, please. <laughs> <laughs> gimme, gimme. Well, yeah, she's... and like, I mean, I really did hone in on it this time watching it because mm-hmm. I watched it. I watched it not, I had it, I watched it not too long ago, like a couple years ago. 
And I watched it when I was living in Chicago and I was actually like doing research on Cabrini Green at an archive I was working at, which sounds like the whitest, yeah. most grad school student thing to say. Um, <laughs> I was studying archival footage of Cabrini Green. Like, Jesus Christ, that's embarrassing. Um, but I was, I had, I think, more context than I would have had watching it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I feel like it's interesting to watch it with a little bit more context about what Cabrini Green is as like an actual place in chicago seriously and, though like even thinking the fact that like this is a real place and yeah that, mm-hmm. i that lived alone. in the south side of chicago and i lived there too so i lived like oh, not too shit. far away yeah so i lived not too far away and so it was really interesting to see also how that part of chicago has changed a lot since that movie was made and like oh, man how it's still the south side of chicago but also like right. it's another part of chicago and it's Seriously. very different it's very not as like scary as the movie would like to depict it at least like when yeah. i like where i was around so but it was interesting to watch it after living in the south side of chicago i bet and i i wish i could have could see it from that lens as well like i i've always wanted to have like a horror film like that was like strictly set in san francisco but like my neighborhood just so i could see like the comparisons and things like that and i think the closest film we have to just being in my neighborhood in general is the last black man in san francisco but um like i definitely would love to see like a horror version of that but yeah. Hey, we'll we'll maybe get there. We'll <laughs> see. Maybe the film well, I'm writing has something to do. I was with gonna that. say you can write it, <laughs> but like it was also really interesting this time around after being in academia for like a hot second, watching it about like really how invasive white people are in academic spaces about their research and how incredibly self-centered researchers are because i've seen it firsthand like i saw it firsthand like obviously not to this extreme but like pretty similar people be like i'm gonna go study these parts of the city that i'm not i'm like i'm a rich white person going to grad school university of chicago but i'm going to like (laughs) do these projects about these things and it was fascinating to watch this movie about about that in a way i hadn't like really kind of latched onto before and yeah fetishization of the white academic gaze to put it in the bougiest way possible (laughs) (laughs) i mean i feels it though (laughs) see i I have a very (laughs) i I do too as you know here's the thing i mean and we'll talk about this later i love this movie even though there are aspects of it that are incredibly incredibly problematic but i still i think it's a really well-made movie but my okay I have a very vivid memory of seeing this for the first time. Oh, wow. So this movie came out in 92. It was during a time when I wasn't watching horror movies. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Like in the early to mid 90s, I wasn't really allowed to watch much horror. And so I retreated into books. So I did a lot of reading and didn't do a lot of movie watching. And this, I saw this, I can't remember if it was like my senior year of high school or maybe my freshman year of college I saw for the first time. So we're talking like 98, 99. And one of the things that we would do as friends is we would get a bunch of movies, we'd go over to someone's house and we'd sit there and we'd watch a bunch of movies. Well, the night that we saw this movie, my friend Amy, she had her wisdom tooth taken out. <laughs> I think all of her teeth taken out. And so oh, we went no. over to her house to sort of like cheer her up and be there with her. Yeah. And um, we brought a bunch of movies. And this was, I think, the either the last – I think this might have been the last movie. I don't think it was supposed to be the last movie. <laughs> it was the last movie we watched. And she – was like at this point kind of 
drugged out on the chair. It was like, like, I think like three or four of us like crouched into her very small living room. She was in her father's like lazy boy recliner with blankets and everything. Just really cozy. I think she had fallen asleep. And then we get to the point of the movie after Candyman shows himself and Helen wakes up in a pool of blood in um, McCoy's, uh, you know, is it Anne Marie? Is that her name? Yeah. Yep. Anne Marie's uh, bathroom and there's blood. And then she opens the door and that is when Amy woke up and she just let out the most blood curdling scream because there's a decapitated dog head on the floor. And she just like screamed the entire, uh, all of us just like jumped in our chair and started screaming too. So there's like us, like a bunch of like 17 to 18 year old, just like screaming. And we're like, what is going on? Cause it's like, oh, you enter this nightmare My up until this point, God. it's it's really restrained. And then you get into this fucking nightmare and it's just yeah. like, what is even happening right now? And the room's and blood she just, soaked. Yeah, oh my God. Is. And I forgot. I so I totally forgot about the part where Helen has like a wild like break where she just dissociates and murders a dog. And I was like, "Wait, what is happening? <laughs> what?" Totally forgot. Yeah, about and that. that is when my friend, poor Amy, who by the way is not a horror fan, oh, no. and oh, after this movie, I don't think has let me really introduce her to horror ever again. <laughs> uh, we're, we're still friends, like like on. I don't know if she listened to the podcast, but hi, Amy. But yeah, this when she woke up and all she saw was this head of a dog. And again, remember that this was back in the VHS days. This caught this tape probably been run through a million different VHS players, and so it was a crappy quality. Mm. It, like, looks dangerous because it's like you know it looks like something that you shouldn't be seeing yeah almost and then that is what you're presented is this fucking head and she just she lost it poor amy i know poor amy i feel so bad i was watching this movie and it was like that memory came back and it's like oh so did you know it was a horror film at the time you were watching it like you you, y'all yeah okay all right for sure we knew she just she like would let us what let us watch horror movies she'd be like okay with it but um yeah, it wasn't so much after this movie. <laughs> this movie not after think, this one. Amy's like, fuck y'all, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of a jerk afterwards, too, because I remember going into friends' bathrooms with them and going, Candyman. Oh, Candyman. fuck you. You're the after fucking worst. Movie. I hated people like that. You guys scared the shit out of me. Oh, man. I, I, after, um, I, mean, I would do that years later with The Ring. You know, it was like, no. oh, that's just seven shit. days. Damn, you're like, that was just. <laughs> amazing <laughs> I, I i kind of did the same thing but to strangers <laughs> um I, I went to go see the night house in theaters um and it's just super late showing like maybe 10 o'clock at night or something like that but at the same time Candyman 2021 came out so in the bathroom they let out at the same time i'm in the bathroom and these guys are like fucking around and just joking and they're just like yeah should we say Candyman in the mirror <laughs> and i'm just like yeah i should say it and uh they weren't saying it they kind of like all just like no nah, i mean I'm, you know i'm just kidding <laughs> you know like these are like maybe 40 year old men who are just like joking about saying it to their kid and things like that so i say it five times extremely fast and i walk out and i turn off the lights and wow yes and you just hear like a poor kids they're just but oh, hey no. you're taking your kids to the movie <laughs> and see this movie so hey <laughs> 
Um, but I also want to talk about the scene before, right before Helen wakes up in a puddle of blood, which is when we first see Candyman, right? Like, yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is it's an, it's forty five minutes in the movie, so mm-hmm. we've yes. already been kind of talking about Candyman. Some shit has been going on, and then all of a sudden, the tone shifts because you hear Tony Todd saying Helen in the most bone chilling way. So I, good. It's. So good. Like, I forgot how incredible Tony Todd is as Candyman. Just, like, the charisma and, like, the the dread. And it's, like, scary, but also, like, really kind of sultry at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, it's just, it's it's an attraction to it. And it's it's so weird because you're just, like... This guy's attractive. Like he's he's tall. He's like he's dark. He's handsome. And he's so on handsome. top of that, he's fly as fuck. Like, like, like he's mm-hmm. just like the speeches. Like, you're like, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds really pretty. Um, yeah. And like, right. but also just like the way they warp his voice to be so just menacing, and it's yeah, and it's also scary because you know how. Like, it's in a parking garage. It's in, like, a place where, you know, people are nervous in parking garages, too. You know what I mean? Right. And there's, like, narratives of white women being scared of going to their cars and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and that's another, like, weird part of this movie where I'm like, did they mean to do that? Or was that just, like, a weirdly unconscious white person writing a movie? I choice? think they meant to do that for sure. Because, yeah. like, we, we, it's not the first time we get that in this movie, yeah, right? That's it's true. just, like, we have her going into the bad part of the neighborhood, right? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. She goes to Caprini Green and it's just, like... It, it, like the whole thing in my head when I watch it now is just like like oh look at the white woman who's in this dangerous setting and it's it's things like that where it's just like mm. and then we have Bern- Bernadette who has the I guess she brings up the fact that they know I'm gonna be different and all this whole other stuff and things like that when uh I mean black people know how to code switch it's just it's a thing like it's just yeah. like it, it's it's a thing for survival and in all this other yep. stuff even though like we're not really trying to survive for it it's just it just happens well and you also see that at the dinner when it's like all yes. of the professors and then it's just bernadette as the only black person at the table and you right. can tell she's trying really hard like because helen is so fiery because helen has that privilege yeah. of being aggressive like, of mm-hmm. being aggressive and like being able to argue right. and Bernadette's so quiet and kind of she's like don't ruin this 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 chance for me white woman is basically what she's (laughs) saying she's like stop Helen like she doesn't want this one person to like ruin everything that she has tried to get out of life and it's it's kind of a heartbreaking scene it really is honestly it really is and and even us seeing this like that's where we kind of even hear the history of Daniel Robitaille even though they never even say his name in the first Candyman no no he's just Candyman that's right yeah, they never say oh. Daniel Robitaille. Uh, we don't oh. hear Daniel Robitaille until Farewell of the Flesh. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting when we kind of see that in, in things like that. And that's, that's something that I've mentioned multiple times where it's just like, this is a film that was created to not have a sequel. Like it was just like mm-hmm. Bernard Rose was like, oh, cool, I made it. I'm done. Like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to make a second one. Um, and, when this was created that particular way it was the like it was interesting that he never mentioned his name or never wanted to mention his name and things like that and now we have uh these battle cries and rallies and things like that like say their name like like that's mm-hmm. that's such a, a focal point and it, it always has been for um black history in general and for for black folk is the the usage of our name and that's something that we hold so near and dear to us um which is 
kind of weird to say, but it it kind of goes back to Roots, um, where mm-hmm. in Roots, where Kuta Kinte was trying to keep his name, and they were trying to change his name to Toby, mm-hmm. and he got whipped to the point where until he had to say Toby, um, and that whole concept is something that we all hold near and dear to us. Like my name being Prince, for example, I got picked on like crazy and I wanted to abandon my name as a kid. Um, Mm. So I called myself Mo and um, that's what my whole family would call me. They would all call me Mo and I didn't use Prince until I was in college. That was the, at that point in time when I was like at age 18, I was like, I think I'm going to use my actual name and really just like empower that and take take hold of that and things like that and and even then like there's incidents where people would still try to call me different names you're just like i'm not gonna call you prince like what that's weird like you know like i was like but that's my name so like (laughs) so but like it's things like that that have always just been so close to black people is their name and and I always found that to just be such a shitty move in Candyman or just like you can't even say this person's name yet you have all this history on him yet you don't know his name like you're saying all this history of he used to be uh, he was a free slave who was actually really amazing artist and his dad made all these shoes for World War One or whatever for the Civil War or whatever and he made this super sh- magic shoe machine and yet you're not saying his real name you're still calling him Candyman. He's like still not a person. He's like not a person to them. Right. Like despite the fact that they have like a pretty detailed history of who this person was, they don't mm-hmm. say the name because he's still a legend and like fake in right. a way to them. So uh, giving him right. a name makes it a real tragedy rather than yes. just a tall tale. Which I think mm-hmm. that um twenty uh, Nita Costa's Candyman I think does a better job trying to unpack. I don't always know if it's as successful, but I think there's more that her movie is trying to do in terms of like unpacking that kind of thing. And while rather than this one, it's more like, you know, let's go from the very yeah. white perspective of like seeing this as a phenomenon rather than as like an actual tragedy that has happened and like is indicative right. of centuries of violence. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think so I think that is the problem with this movie inherently is that I think Bernard Rose was latching on to um you even mentioned it uh Prince earlier the the gothic. This is a gothic romance. Right. Like this is a gothic romance set in a an urban environment. And so on if you were to divorce like the race aspect to it, it is a fairly traditional gothic story. But the problem is that you can't divorce that because this story even even if you were to look at it, this story is pulled from a real life event. Yeah. Um, they I don't I don't know if you guys have seen the the Chicago Reader article. They mm-hmm. came in through the bathroom mirror. Yeah, mm-hmm. about um, Ruthie Mae McCoy, who again is two people's names in this movie. You have Anna Marie McCoy, and then you also have Ruthie, the person that the the janitorial staff brings up that was that was murdered. And so Ruthie lived in Chicago in the, um, I believe it's the ABLA project. It's the Chicago Housing Authority project known as ABLA. It was a high rise. I, and, and, I mean, we're hearing similarities here already. A high rise that had dark malfunctioning elevators, pitch black stairwells, and addiction and violence was was prevalent. And that's what is being represented in this movie. Yeah. And this woman, Ruthie Mae McCoy, was calling the police because she was saying that some people are next door and they want to come in through the bathroom. And the police were like, what? And so they didn't send anyone immediately. And it wasn't until someone else called in and saying that they heard gunshots that finally the police arrived, but no one didn't answer. No one knocked on the door. They knocked on the door and no one answered. So they didn't barge in. They didn't do anything. And so the next day later, another neighbor calls and says, hey, I haven't seen 
um, Ruthie, and she normally comes by, and still the police didn't do anything. They didn't want to break down the door. And it wasn't until the following day that um, one of the project managers came in with a carpenter and drilled through the lock and found her dead. And they had literally come in, again, like this movie, through the bathroom, the medicine cabinet in the bathroom that was connecting between the, the two buildings. Yeah. That's... And so you hear the story and you hear about how like – and the article is, is very, very long. We'll include it in the show notes, listener, if you ha- listeners, if you haven't read it. But it's very in-depth about that whole area as well as her story, her tragic story in the middle of it. And it's – so basically, he, I mean, he pulled – he literally pulled from this into this yeah. movie. And so – it's kind of hard to just take it as like, oh, he's trying to make a gothic romance story when there's so much real life trauma that yes. is that is the the cornerstone of him making this movie. Right. And that that whole aspect of him kind of taking real life events and things like that into it, like for him, he was thinking like, I'm being authentic. Like, you know, I yeah. am showing a very authentic story and giving this this uh legend aspect to it to really paint something beautiful and granted i love Candyman. don't get me wrong but yeah this movie has its it has its faults and bernard mm-hmm. rose has his faults as well and and it's 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 really telling because if if we even think about um the original story of the forbidden um yeah. by clive barker like when we think about that like it was all based on class like it, mm-hmm. it had nothing to do yeah. with who's black who's white i want to say even his version of Candyman was uh a redhead um so like it it, it was all it was pretty much it, Clive Barker's version was a horror movie of Titanic. Like we have Rose and Jack, and there was that was his that it was the same shit. But um, <laughs> like when we get this version for Bernard Rose's Candyman, he did create something beautiful, but it was it was so hurtful to the point where it took us twenty years to or no longer thirty years to kind of regain that back and and uh reclaim that because if we even think of all the sequels, not a white not a black director for any of the sequels, not a black writer for any of the sequels. Well aren't they and, and aren't like they that. all still centered on like the white woman being like yes. taken <laughs> by peril. Candyman, like the white woman yes. in peril becoming yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Pretty much that all of them are the rehash of King Kong, and they're all just different mm-hmm. versions of King Kong, and Ew. it's it's uh, yeah exactly um, where you have this white savior and things like that, and it's 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 so it's so interesting to kind of see how you have Candyman be retold in Nia Dacosta's Candyman. I think that's why I love it so much, Nia Dacosta's Candyman, because of the fact that she has this retelling of how how we are able to bring this figure back to us as um, a black community and, and how it was a tale that was forgotten and you have to remember it to to do all of this whole other stuff and uh with daniel robotai telling sorry for quick spoilers not really a big spoiler but um to tell everyone and and how daniel robotai mm-hmm. says that um motion of like let everybody know that this shit still happens like and like right. it, it's it's even the story of of like cops not being or cops taking too long or not taking a situation serious in in a certain neighborhood or even over policing in those certain neighborhoods and things like that like it's those types of situations that kind of go hand in hand because there'll be gunshots in my neighborhood one night and no cop cars like none and and it's just like it's such a norm 
that like you yeah. don't hear sirens when there's gunshots or anything uh, unless it's like a full blown war or something going right. on up there and and it's 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 crazy it's it's really crazy to think about that that type of stuff that this is such a norm and uh anytime cops will call i never like leave my number because it's just like you're you're not gonna really take me that seriously so like yeah right this is this is what the situation is get here if you can like <laughs> you know uh there's an incident um with one of my neighbors uh who got into a fight with her daughter and um the cops were called i want to say around like 4 p.m or something like that the cops didn't show up until 9 30 p.m yeah the fight already was like done. I was gonna say like point. everyone's like <laughs> gone to bed at that point. Like everyone's left. Like every there's yeah. nothing left to talk about. Like Good it was God. just like like what what are you even here for? It's just do you it, still it, live in San nothing. Francisco? I do. Yeah, okay. I still I actually still live live uh, in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. Uh, oh, I just live okay. in a different part of that neighborhood. Cool. So it's like I. I've seen this neighborhood like start from like the bottom to like where it is now. And it's, yeah. it still has work to do in some ways, I guess. But like at the same time, like gentrification is like real and it's, it's crazy to, to see like high rises in my house or by my house um, and things like that, where I'm just like, that is nuts. But yeah, San Francisco still home. I used to live in a small town called Fresno, which oh, um, yeah. when I, yeah, it's, it's 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 a town uh, <laughs> uh but uh used to live there and um i live i went to high school there in fresno and uh, i went to a medical high school in fresno so like oh. yeah yeah that's that's an interesting fact about me slash tidbit uh i went to a medical high school and i used to uh <laughs> i used to work on cadavers and i actually interned at a coroner's office holy cow yeah yeah, yeah. That's I was studying cool to be hell. a mortician. Um, and, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah, I studied mortuary science for three years. Um, and that was, uh, that was, it, it kind of died out at a certain point because it was just like, it actually surprisingly expensive to get into uh, mortuary work. I um, researched so, it for a yeah. long time because I was, when I was in grad <laughs> school, I decided I didn't want to be in academia and I was going to become a mortician. And, uh, <laughs> Have you ever, have either of you read Smoke Gets in Your Eyes? No, I haven't. Yes. Yes. The one about being a mortician or like growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, you. No. Okay. <laughs> but it's like hours of research. So many expensive classes and like licensing and lab hours. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is going to take forever. Yeah. I, I got For a leg fair. up on it when I was in high school, but like it was. Did you uh, learn how to do all the makeup and stuff and like reconstruct faces and shit? Yes, so Hell we learned yeah, how to so we learned how to do that. That was my sophomore year in high school, where we had Holy to learn shit. how to do makeup, um, and we had to learn how to dress a dead body as well. That was that was interesting. Oh my like, god! There's like these little things that you would kind of kind of kind of hook the body on, <laughs> and you would dress them. And like if it's um, if it's like a kid, for example, like you would paint their nails and all that stuff. Like it's, yeah, it's, Wild. it's, it's nuts. Um, and yeah, we had to take pictures of our work and all that stuff. And, oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> it was, it was oh, interesting. No. It was a very weird high school, but it was McLean Medical Academy. If anyone's interested, uh, I have no idea if they still have that mortuary program, wow. but it was cool. <laughs> it That's was cool. cool. Um, That's really fucking cool. <laughs> Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. High school 
weird, but cool. But like, oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Like there was a whole bunch of things. Like we had like a ton of people watching us, like a ton of professionals had to be there. But I, I mainly studied because we had to write a thesis. Um, and my thesis was actually on like asthma and sleep apnea. Um, more so like sleep paralysis and stuff like that. Like I always was just super fascinated about that stuff. So you had to have these major tangent sorry like you had to have these uh uh like actually set up like um real life like uh experiments and things like that so i would literally go and ask people and ha- and like based off of the budget of the school we would pay them and i would be like hey like you know have you guys seen come true yeah um yeah it very yes. similar similar to that like you would just literally oh. have like flyers up someone pick it and then they would meet you at the school you were a high school would- student yeah that was high school yeah yeah that's that's wild wild. my thesis was on asthma and it was like a crazy like 60 to 75 page paper just about like asthma and the development of asthma and we actually found out at that point in time that uh uh, based off of that and it's published in the fresno b um but it was a um the fact that fresno is a bowl between san francisco and la because it's all it's so flat and LA has hills and San Francisco has hills. So all the smog just sits on top of Fresno. Oh no. <laughs> so that's why Fresno has one of the worst asthma problems in California. Wow. Wow. I suffer from asthma. So like that's same. not where I should live. <laughs> Definitely not. So same here. <laughs> I'm 100% allergic to Fresno. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think so, I am too. <laughs> so like you definitely don't want to go there, but it's, uh, it was pretty neat to like do all that other stuff and things like that, but I didn't pursue Princess it. Wild. I, yeah, I pursued insane. graphic design. I was like, yeah, I want to. <laughs> it's cheaper, you know. <laughs> it was cheaper. I got a full ride, and I was like, yeah, whatever. We'll do graphic design instead. And I actually ended up liking that a little bit more. But yeah, and it's a lot of work. Like mortician work is a lot of work. Like plus you yeah. have to yeah. live there. Like it's just you, you got no choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean you don't have to, but like it's easier if it's. Just in your basement or whatever. But yeah. Anyway, it's um, Candyman. Speaking of the insides of people, though, uh, this, this, the reveal where Candyman pulls open his coat and this My is like a rib cage and it's just God. like swarming with bees. Just iconic. And I can't remember how many times, but like I know he got stung like a lot of times filming. 27 this. times. Yeah, and I um I was watching this on Amazon, and you had like the little x-ray with like the facts and oh, stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I found, I took a picture of a really cool fact, because I'm a nerd here, but... The bees were bred specifically for this movie. They were they needed to make sure that the bees were only Maybe 12 bees. hours old so that they looked like mature bees, but their stinger wouldn't be powerful enough to do real damage. So they, they bred bees specifically for this movie. So, yeah, isn't that, like, fucking crazy? Yeah. It's, like, it's wild. I, <laughs> I follow a bee farmer on TikTok. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I love bee farmers on TikTok. <laughs> it's, it's, she's fantastic. But, like... I was thinking about it, and I I don't know if this is true or not, but I assume this is true that they had to have the queen somewhere on the uh, the chest cavity oh. because mm-hmm. the way that they swarm over there, it, it just it it wouldn't have worked. And also, when yeah. the queen is around, they're a lot more docile. Yeah, so they they won't be as quick to sting you unless you're just like you pose a danger pretty much so i I believe he was stung 27 times uh in his contract i think it was like a thousand dollars a sting or something like that i'm gonna be honest though 27 times is not as much as i would have thought no yeah honestly bad 
and terrible. (laughs) But I wouldn't want to be stung once. No, exactly. Like still terrible, but less than you would have thought because he was probably covered in bees a lot. Yeah, same same thing with Helen, and and that was yeah. uh, yeah. That and you guys heard of that strange or ordeal that Bernard Rose supposedly got her hypnotized to do those scenes. So no. like the actual hypnotism scenes of when like she's in a trance, supposedly she was actually hypnotized for those scenes. And really, same thing goes for the bees and things like that. Like huh. uh, supposedly she was not cool with the whole bee situation, but. Bernard Rose really wanted that kiss with the bees going from one mouth to another mouth to exchange. I mean, it is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But it's just like, mm. <laughs> Well, and like speaking of the bee kiss, I thinking about some of the imagery, but also some of the dialogue that is so Clive Barker and like reminds oh me God. of Hellraiser and the way yes. that Candyman speaks. He's just like, what is blood if not for shedding? The pain I can assure you will be exquisite. Like it's just so clive barker it's and i so love clive it barker. so it really is much and he's just and tony todd was meant to to say clive barker lines like oh the way God. he says these oh. lines is just like it's so lyrical and it's so like exactly like i would imagine clive barker writing it it's just it's like it's perfect Seriously. it's asmr well, yeah it's tony todd asmr well, yes i can listen to it over this- and over this was his um like his Phantom of the Opera. He described it like this was like his big moment, and I mean he I fucking mean, chewed up he every it. second of it. Uh, speaking of it. nails, did not notice <laughs> on this until this watch that the hook is nailed into his arm, and you can see oh, some yes. of the nails mm-hmm. poking out to of it. Nub, I had yeah. never noticed that before. Me neither. Oh. Yeah, I think this is only the third time I've seen this movie, and again, the first time was again. The VHS crappy copy, so it's like you yeah, can't really make, not make, out, make that out on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when you see the nails like kind of into the his stub and things like that, and uh, even in in the second one, like they show the whole process, like it is like oh really brutal. Oh so yeah, I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the sequels. I've never I haven't seen any of the sequels except for uh, Nina Casas yeah. Candyman. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's very reminiscent to when Anthony gets the hook in his um nub it's very reminiscent of that but it's like a bunch of people holding him down um and they jam it in and they're like nailing and then it's not just like regular it's like train spikes like (gasps) um a fun fact about that as well the uh railroad ghost in 13 ghost was actually modeled after Candyman. <laughs> oh. So that's why he has a hammer in his mm. arm and his oh. is also melted. So Okay. Yeah, huh. He was modeled after Candyman. Yeah. That does so. make sense. Well, I talked about that too. Um before we talk about Nita Cross's Candyman, because I want to yeah. touch on that, I just want to take a shout out to the Philip Glass score in this oh. movie. Okay, I was gonna go. I there. just want to talk about it because just it's it's like if you're not sure that this is a gothic movie just listen to that score and you know that this is like some gothic romance shit like it's It's amazing it's so good (laughs) it is so good philip glass is one of my favorite composers i love his work and he is known for making like arpeggios and for Um, like doing a lot of like simplistic what's an arpeggio (laughs) Arpeggios where it's like like that kind of stuff. He does a lot of arpeggios. He does a lot of like simplistic like melodies that sort of repeat and refine themselves and like kind of grow over time. Where like it layers in that kind of emotion. And this is like a pitch perfect score for him. This one and honestly he 
he composed The Hours, which again is another movie that the score is just phenomenal. And I used to play that all the I used to play The Hours like soundtrack on my piano all the time because I just his music <laughs> translates. Tell me you're depressed without telling me you're <laughs> depressed. <laughs> Yes. I played the hour soundtrack on the piano for I was hours. Like, oh by no! I used to do it all the time because his music is like it's 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 not too difficult to learn, especially because I I think he is like very piano forward, and so it's not too difficult to learn on the piano. And it's just a bunch like again repeating patterns. So once you've like learned it, it's really easy to do. But it, it has such an elegance to it, and like you said, Mary Beth, it, it is this is gothic. This is a gothic score to its core, and it just. I love it so much. Yeah. I love this score. I think the score is perfect. The score genuinely is what makes the film in some ways because I, I feel like Philip Glass just really understood that this he understood the gothic romance behind it and he under, <laughs> he understood that like each scene needed to have this kind of um operatic feel to it the, yeah. where it's almost shakespearean in some ways mm -hmm. and, and it's uh the way that we kind of see that clarification through his uh composition and it's it's incredible and and I'm blanking out on the one for Nia Dacasa but I'm I'm going to find that composer as well because I feel like um, they also did an amazing. I like job. that composer a lot. The composer of the new one definitely understood uh, what what Philip Glass's score was about, and I absolutely think, in a lot of way. And I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit. I think that it, it is a perfect like mirror image to what Philip Glass was doing. I still think Philip Glass's score is better, but again, you're like comparing like this pitch perfect no, in my yeah. opinion score, and it's 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 hard to like match that. But I think that what the composer for Candy for 2021's Candyman was doing definitely feels like he understood what philip glass was doing yeah absolutely and i his his name is lynchens uh he goes under lynchens but it's robert a, a. uh aubrey or robert a a low um robert okay. aki aubrey low um cool. but he goes by lynchens and yeah i mean he just he genuinely i i feel like he definitely understood it um and and one thing that i really like is that i believe philip's glasses Candyman theme song was called um Candyman's box um if i'm not mistaken and to sound kind of like a music box in some ways with his it's called troy's story and oh. it's it's such an interesting like overtone overtone because they're both Candyman, um mm -hmm. and it's just like ugh, god damn it like it's just i i can literally talk about both of these movies all damn day <laughs> well let's let's be before we wrap up let's briefly talk about nita costas because um one thing that like Again, I have seen that this is the third time I've watched this movie, and I have Nita Costa's Candyman so close in my in my memory, having watched it a few times over the last like sure. six six months or so. But the way that the movies kind of complement each other is is really fascinating. Like especially with the opening of the of uh, Bernard Rose's Candyman, where it's a top down look at the city, yes. and it's almost like you're looking down on the city. Right. Whereas Nia DaCosta opens her movie with like the city upside down and yeah. it's like a mirror image except you were like mid-level and you're part of the city as opposed to like above it looking down on, on so Cabrini incredible. Green. You're in it and it's almost as if you've gone through the mirror and you're on the opposite side and it's like a reflection of it. And the way that, that this movie, I, I think 2021's Candyman, plays with sort of like mirror images makes you feel like what you're seeing is one side of that that mirror and now we're going to take you – into the, like the real part of it. It's like yeah. a reflection and this is the real shit. And I, that's one thing that I really appreciated 
more so on this watch. I agree. And it, uh, I even love to point out that they really honed in on the painter aspect about mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. yeah. that whole concept of the whole thing was just about art. And that being Robert, uh, Daniel Robitaille's like thing, like he was like his forte, like he was comfortable around art and that was his main Mm -hmm. thing. And, um, and in some ways love as well, where Anthony kind of had this major confliction of like art, obsession, love. And and it's just, it was all these different classifications that I felt like set him up to be the perfect candy man and i i think that's i think a lot of a lot of people who didn't like that movie or whatever compared it a little too much to the original when i was just like it's it feels to me to be just the perfect sequel to this and especially one 30 years later because when we have anthony being um the young boy who was supposed to get sacrificed and him kind mm-hmm. of in a way having Candyman's mark like like he's I don't know, Dracula, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like it, he was sired to Candyman, and he had this this uh, this uh, particular connection with him. Um, I still get confused with uh, Coleman Domingo's character at times. Where I'm just like, why is he obsessed? Like, you know, like I get yeah. it, like he met Candyman first or whatever when he was a kid, but it's just like I think his name was William in the movie, but um, William Burke, yeah. Um, and I was just like, oh, why? Like, you know, like. Why though? Like, why? Why is he like? He, like, you've seen Candyman kill your sister, and like, yeah, yeah. Yet you have this kind of feeling of just like, I need to get you to be Candyman. Yeah, and like that's one of the things I think that need across as Candyman. I think that there's just so much happening in the movie that yeah. I think is all it's like, important. Not long enough. It's not exactly. It's not long yes. enough. I just think there's yeah. so much cool stuff going on that she doesn't have time to unpack fully. So it feels right. like a lot of like kind of threads that aren't totally resolved. But at the same time, like, what am I trying to say? At the same time, it's just like also the fuck the fact that this came out in movie theaters in 2021 is fucking yes. incredible. And like just the yes. fact that this movie was made by a black woman about. Like, like from a black perspective about black people as like as I said a perfect sequel to the from from thirty Absolutely. years ago. It just like it is the perfect sequel. Like despite it, like despite yeah. the things that might not be perfect about it, it's still like an incredible way to continue the series. I want more right. Brianna Cartwright. <laughs> it, oh my god, me too. And, and Ugh, Tiana I, and Paris that, is so good in that movie. So good, she's so good, she's so good. Like, like I could, I could see her do anything now, and I'm just like, <gasps> I had so much more of an appreciation of her character in WandaVision after watching it as well. I'm just like, mm, dude, mm-hmm. you're amazing. But like, with with the complaints that I normally hear is that it was too woke or whatever. And Nia DaCosta very much blatantly says what this movie is in the movie. When Anthony is showing yeah. um, the painting to Brie and when he shows it to Brie and she's just like, it, it doesn't really leave room for interpretation. It's just all out there. That's the fucking movie. Like the movie's just mm-hmm. all out there. Like there is no interpretation. Like this is what you're going to see. And this is what she wanted to show. And she wanted to show a completely unfiltered version of what her Candyman was to her in general. And yeah. I felt like the usage of the mirrors and things like that was a really good touch as well. Mm-hmm. And the only time we were able to see Candyman, I guess, 
uh, not in a mirror in this moment was when he was faced with his one true love, which was Bree. And like, that's the main time we didn't have to see him inside of a mirror. And holy shit, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Like, uh, and I, I love the fact that like we, we do have that oppor- opportunity to, to really, I guess, truly understand what makes a candy man. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, we got Daniel Robitaille's story, which was absolutely horrendous, but the fact that, like, there are multiple people who are wronged and turned into legends, like, gosh, everything that was going on, like, and still going on with police brutality yeah. and things like that, and, like, these are people who are now turned into legends, like Brianna Taylor, or, um, uh fucking everybody like you know like it's just like mm-hmm. like i i even like don't even want to like say it all but like everybody and and it's just it's just it's absolutely horrendous how we are able to see those people become like a tall tale in some yeah. ways and that utilization of and the fact that like um during the marketing and i'm i'm sure y'all probably remember this but during the marketing it was say his name for yep. a long time i and wrote just that a lot when i was writing articles it. about it <laughs> right like, say yeah, his so, name. like that was the it, marketing but it was really was good right. it was great right. or say was, her name right because yeah. uh yeah a lot of people didn't want to say it was Nidicus, you know that, candy that's man very true and in like a lot a lot of that really played in a lot to to the fact that like of how aware they are of like their surroundings and i feel like they knew they had something special and i guarantee if people give this movie 10 years and revisit in 10 years i guarantee some people are going to feel like it is a fucking masterpiece and can stand right next to bernard rose's candy man well also i love people like it's too woke i'm like did you see the first one though like it's not Bruh, like, subtle like, either. On, like that right? one's not like, seriously. Like, it's like maybe a little bit subtler than Nita Costas, but not by much. Like it's yeah, pretty yeah, fucking not obvious. Much. Like, like like we have that police story to open up the movie in yeah, Candyman exactly. nineteen ninety two. Like, <laughs> well, like I guess we like, aren't just like much. understanding how to watch movies. But then also, I just thought about this about how Nita Costa getting erased a little like getting erased by a lot of people with this movie kind of is is very interesting how brie has a similar situation of trying to be an artist and make a name for herself and divorce herself from things and nia DaCosta went through a very similar thing with her own movie and i hadn't really thought about that parallel until just now but it's fascinating it's like oh wow see like it's a movie but it's really not that different from how like this whole marketing and people are talking about it is going down seriously and the way that I feel like she evokes fear in that film as well. Just really is a very understandable way. And it's because to me, like, and a lot of people have gripes with the bathroom scene, for example, I personally love the bathroom scene. I think it's a fantastic callback to when um, (laughs) we have Helen in the bathroom and she gets beat up um, and she gets mugged. Uh, I think that's a great callback to that. But quick side note: Helen gets her yeah. ass kicked so hard in this movie, and oh I forgot how God. much she gets her ass kicked. Like, I love a movie Jesus. that just will kick her ass. Like everyone, like who cares that she's like a white lady? Like, let's just I'm like good for like you know what? At least you have her getting her like ass beat by people. Right. <laughs> like I don't know. I just like kind of appreciate that in a movie that doesn't treat her so delicately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, because they, they, they definitely they whoop her ass for sure, and it's just like, woo, time passed. But um, <laughs> <laughs> with 
with that particular bathroom scene in Nia DaCosta's Candyman, like a lot of people feel like they was just there for scare sakes. And uh, by a lot of people, I've, I'm mainly talking about the general um, audience, but like when that particular bathroom scene is just like, no, like you're talking about the teens in the bathroom, right? Yeah. The teens in the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that, yeah. like to me, that, that rings so true because like everything is just a whisper on the wall. Right. I mean, well, I, I think it's one of the mo- more important scenes in the movie. I, I mean, agree. It's, it's divorced from the story that's happening, but it's one of the most important things because it is again, harking back to the idea of white people taking on a, a, a black mythology and not understanding yes. what's going on. And then basically kind of saying like, uh, I'm just going to say it and not understanding the truth behind it. And so right. for me, it is like the most important scene of, the, of that movie because it's the linchpin for what I think the themes that she is trying to explore in this film. Absolutely. And, and it's, it has just such a way to just bring so much gravitas to how it travels and how, mm-hmm. um, just a little bit of a, a very minor whisper of something may travel positively or negatively, right? Like, I mean, yeah. we ha- we see it all the time on Twitter, right? We see people disagreeing, we see people agreeing, we see people piling, we see crowds forming, we see the whole shit, and we see th- we see the commentaries in the films we watch in real life, and with those particular commentaries and those metaphors that we see, it all spans on the back to back to what we know is life like this is just life Mm -hmm. like whether we paint it inside of a horrific picture or if we paint it inside of a beautiful light it doesn't matter all of it's still going to represent what we know which is life like it's just right the star wars for example it's literally the hero's journey like it's just like it's life dude like it's just like it's it's a guy getting a fucking job interview relax like you know (laughs) like it's just it's it's things like that that just feel like it's so it's so true and it's so telling to what we care about in life and, and how much we actually care about the things that we love and how true it reigns to how close it is for home for us as well. So, yeah, I mean, kudos to Nia. Before we do wrap up, one of the things that like I started thinking about on this rewatch is the the way that urban legend, urban urban legends have kind of like pulled from like folklore where it was like folklore was like at one point. The, the, the stories that you would hear and then it became urban legends and then in like uh you know in the 2000s it became creepy pastas like i'm just like you know the idea of that it's where you're living at that time is where like the the kind of folk lore and the folk horror kind of pulls from and i'm just wondering like what's it going to be in like 20 years where it's like what's the next thing that is going to be haunted by slenderman or Candyman <laughs> or bloody mary or you know elves in the woods or you know leprechauns or whatever the case may be it's like what's going to be the the next iteration it's just i started thinking about that as they were yeah. you know discussing the idea of a urban legend yeah and i feel like i feel like a, a few folks are definitely trying to do new things like i'm not too sure if you have seen those apps that like make up fake text message stories have you guys oh, heard yeah. of those? Yeah, yeah, like it's it's I don't know what the app is called, but like it pretty much is an app that makes up fake text message stories where you communicate through the text message and they send you a, a message back and it's a back and forth. But it, it's a horror. Mm-hmm. It's a horror story. So it can yeah. be like someone's in your house or something like that. Like it's it things like that. So it's or you can just have it play out a scenario for you where it's just you're just reading the text messages of a past thing really cool things that have done that have been uh her story have you guys heard of that oh, mm-hmm. yeah. her story and her telling story. lies and telling lies uh, exactly sarah is missing is a good sarah app. Is missing um, yes yeah. uh 
all of those are are I feel like is it's definitely going to be the new way we we consume these new particular legends of what we're kind of familiar with because technology kind of holds us at a in a chokehold so i feel like it's just going to get more and more of that in storytellings of that so which i'm excited for i think tiktok also is playing a big role and youtube as well because like if you think about short like shorts like well when i was growing up on like early days of youtube like marble hornets and that was we talked about you mentioned slender man and like things like that and then you have TikTok videos, like making things like the back rooms and things like that, mm-hmm. like capturing kind of these liminal spaces. So it's interesting to see how like, well, and that, I was thinking about that a lot because like Candyman, Candyman originated in the movie, correct? Like Candyman was not a thing outside of before the movie. Um, and it became part, like it's a fictional thing, but also it's a fictional thing based upon trauma and tragedy in a way. And like people don't, Right. it's just interesting how this legend becomes a thing and then other legends that are based on tragedies become you come they kind of detached from the actual real life tragedy and more into like these paranormal aspects of it and it's fascinating and like similar with slender man in terms of how that leaked into reality and how like young girls killed because of that and i just think it's so interesting about how these kinds of things morph into their own lives like lives of their own like Candyman is completely fictional but people still think if you say it in the mirror today like he'll come and get you and it's like bloody mary but still like it's just wild how those things like proliferate and like i knew about Candyman before i knew about the movie right as a kid so it's just fascinating how those things spread and become part of like childhood and growing up without really knowing yeah. the, the full context we're we're interesting beings you know like humans are just interesting folks like we we're very gullible and mm-hmm. i think that is what makes us so special is that we can take stories such as this that can peripherate into a whole scene of generation after generation after generation and that's why i'm like i'm kind of stoked of like this resurgence that's happening to kind of bring back all these films because these films aren't for us like Candyman 2021 neo de Candyman, halloween 2018 i feel like it's it's for us with fan servicey shit but at the same time it's for the new generation like it's to yeah. get them in and on board to be like yeah. yo this is the shit that like we grew up on and you need to check out like the previous stuff or whatever like my introduction to texas chainsaw massacre was 2003's texas chainsaw massacre because it too. was for my generation mm-hmm. and then i was like oh shit i didn't know it was a remake cool i'm gonna go check that out now so it's like that type of stuff. same thing with black christmas my my iteration into black christmas was 2006 black christmas so mm-hmm. like it, it's just it's all those things that kind of happen with these particular films they're not for us they're not for this generation of course we can watch them and love them and or hate them or whatever we want to do with them and but they're not made for us like the the generation at or after us that next up generation it's it's theirs like you know this is going to be their candy man that's their Michael 10 to 20 Myers. years from now this is going to be someone's scarred for life moment exactly exactly and and that's awesome like that is so mm-hmm. cool because like us as humans are extremely gullible which allows us to have just shit like this that we will believe from time to time again so speaking of this being someone else's uh scarred for life movie 10 20 years down the line now that you've rewatched, you know the original og um are you still as scared as a six-year-old prince was or 
has the movie lost its luster for you? Um, I wouldn't say I'm scared, and uh, but I also wouldn't say it lost any luster per se. Um, what I would say is that it has and will forever have such a close spot for me in my heart. Like even with all the gripes aside, like it is just such a phenomenally well done movie in in some ways. Like as a film in general, like it is just a masterpiece of a film and with all the gripes that I do have in it, I overlook them every time because yeah. I love this movie so much. And it's, it's just one of those films that I feel like it's just going to forever kind of, uh, just be that soft spot for horror where everyone, like, I don't know a single person who doesn't like Candyman. Like I, I just, I don't. Um, and I just think it's going to be one of those films that just, it's going to, going to be forever just a horror gem. And it, I wish it was, talked about a lot more in in a part of the grails like halloween and um texas chainsaw massacre and scream and things like that because it's it's unfortunate that it's not considered a part of the grails but hey i mean it, it it is for me and i feel like even though like it might not be with that like it was cool to see Candyman pop up back into the conversation again when nia da costa announced that she was doing it well, that's a perfect way to transition into uh wrapping up and giving this our rating out of five uh Terry, how many B-covered rib cages out of five do you give Candyman? Okay. Uh, so I, I do think that if, as, as a movie, as like an experience, I think this movie is, is pretty damn close to perfection in terms of what it makes me feel and why I love horror films. Because it makes me, unse- even watching it last night, the, the moment that it transitions into that full-blown nightmare, the moment that terrified Amy, my friend, back, like, gosh, <laughs> 20 years ago at this point, it's still an effective transition that, like, turns the rest of the movie into an absolute nightmare. And I love that it can play with that sort of, like, it's almost like you're gone through the mirror in this film, and you've now entered this nightmare world, and nothing is as it seems, and nothing makes sense. And I love that it can do that. I love how terrifying it is. I think the acting in this is phenomenal. Um, the score is just oh, perfection. It's why it's weird watching it now as, as an adult who has like a better understanding of horror and a better understanding of the way the world works, because it's still at the very end when there is the mural of Helen, it is replaced Candyman, And it's this white woman that is being celebrated. It's like, Oh, why is it ending on this note? Because otherwise it could have been like a really good movie. So I think that some of these things, watching it through a 2022 lens has like dampened some of my appreciation for the film, but not a whole lot. So I still am wobbling between a four and a four and a half uh, beat covered rib cages for me, somewhere in between there. I think what this movie is doing is fantastic. What about you, Mary Beth? I think I give a four. Um, a lot of the same reasons. I think it's an incredible movie. I think, again, watching it from a lens now, you're like, ooh, a white guy making this movie. But, you know, honestly, it could have been way worse at the same time. You know what I mean? That's true. Like, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, I think he thought he was being sensitive. And it doesn't always translate to good intentions. But, you know. Yeah. Ugh. But I also want to give a shout out to Casey Lemons as Bernadette slash Bernie. Oh. Um my favorite yes. character of the movie. I love her. I love her as the voice of reason. I know that's like kind of a stereotypical black best friend trope, but the just like having this voice of reason being like, please, like you need to pump the brakes, white lady, just charging in <laughs> to Cabrini Green and like not having any sense of caution and being like, I can yeah. do whatever I want. And like 
kind of providing this thing of like showing how unrealistic Helen is with a lot of her expectations of how things are going to go and how people are going to interact with her and finally being confronted with a reality that maybe not everyone wants to talk to her or like like reveal their information and trauma and be looked at as a test subject. Um, And I think that there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here with like academia and that kind of stuff too. And I like, once again, it's a complex, it's a complex movie that every time I watch it, I get more out of it because it's trying to do a lot of stuff and it's just beautifully done. It's fucking gross. It's so good. And yeah. And Prince, you have the final word. You already said a beautifully eloquent reason for why you (laughs) love the movie, but how many B covered pages out of five do you give Candyman? Yeah, I think I, I think I would give Candyman four point five for sure, and cool. it it definitely, as I stated a little bit earlier, it just has such a soft spot for me personally. And yes, yeah, seeing it in the lens of twenty twenty two and and things like that definitely weigh a lot. And um, also me seeing it just like as a black person in general, like it definitely weighs a lot. And I I, I do see connotations and and things like that that just really stick out to me to the point where I'm just like. Yeah, that could have not been there. But <laughs> at the same time, like this film just has such a a delicate way of presenting a monster. And yeah. it, it it does that in such a way with just pure elegance. And the <laughs> fact that we get so many rumors and stories and it takes us 45 minutes to see our villain is incredible like it's really really incredible to kind of see that aspect of this film and have that be such a secret from even the audience and yeah it's it's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic yeah well thank you so much prince for for finally coming on and joining us and talking about this movie because uh this was a great conversation where can listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share about your podcast etc well, thank you both for having me. This has been an absolute blast. I was very excited to to come on this show. Um, but people can find me over on Nightlight, um, a horror movie podcast. That's Night with a K. Uh, you can also see me on Twitter uh, at the Head Night. That's also Night with a K. Um, it's a uh, it's a lot of cool stuff that I got coming down the pipeline. So you'll probably see my name somewhere else <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> um, so listeners you've heard from us we want to hear from you what was your experience with Candyman you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter I am at mbmcandrews and I'm McGaley Dreadful and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter at scarredpodcast and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe it helps with the algorithms yes it does Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>